Nicodemus, who first heard those words, must have wondered what was going on. This theological leader came to Jesus, that talked about teacher who was causing quite a stir, drawing people to himself and tweaking the powers that be. And then, what did he hear? He came by night, under cover of darkness, we usually say, as if this is somehow sinister, though there are those who suggest that the scholars and the students of the Bible in those days would have been busy at this hour, delving into the scriptures. A nice touch, for here he comes to talk, or to hear, really, from the Word himself, from the embodiment of what God long had promised. But what did he hear? This leader, steeped in the law, who knew well its quid pro quo arrangement, do this and you will live, do that and you shall die, with all the ceremonial gloss added to it. Here's his word, world turned upside down. First comes the bizarre story of Israel, Moses, and the fiery serpents, where the escape, the only escape, is by looking to the bronze serpent that reminded them of the death that they had brought on themselves that was all around them as they lashed out against God. And then Jesus speaks of God's Son, the Messiah sent, in a kind of parallel way with salvation, come not in doing, but in looking and believing. And then he speaks of whomever, to whom it may concern. We can imagine that Nicodemus would be put off. He wasn't wandering, complaining Israel of Moses' day, and he certainly held to the law. He also wasn't just anyone, the world to whom it may concern. He was the only one standing there, and yet he gets an answer that sounds generic, as if he's reduced to a number. There is a lot of this number business going around these days. Numbers nearly beyond comprehension are thrown around by economists and politicians and pundits of all sorts, and we are not sure which is more frightening, that they don't know what they're talking about and actually cannot control any of it, or that they think they do and they can. A reality check is available for them in Ecclesiastes, but that's a different sermon. Amid life storms, far or near at hand, we wonder if we are no more than a number, a statistic, maybe a casualty in the offing. 5331076 There is a number for you. I bet you don't know what that is. Well, one person knows who what that is because I told him it. 5331076 Elvis Presley's serial number private Elvis Presley, who on this day in 1958, I teach history, remember, who on this day in 1958 became a member of the U.S. Army and as far as they were concerned, just a number. Yet no matter what the Army said, it was otherwise. Teenage girls thought otherwise, and the internet today makes sure still. The fact that we can look it up and find it in more than half a million places in a tenth of a second, so says Google, proudly giving us more numbers, really only accents the truth of our being ordinary, near anonymous, just part of to whom it may concern. And that does nothing to help our desperation, especially when it comes to being more than a number as far as God is concerned. And so we offer up what we can, thinking God will notice, or thinking it may help 
even if he doesn't. But deep down, deep down there is this fear, this cold realization of the truth that it won't add up. And zero is the only number we're going to amount to. What must Nicodemus have thought? And what do we? Among the many words of the Bible, more than we can count, there are these words from Psalm 44. He knows the secrets of the heart. Indeed, God knows not only the paltry offerings and the many failures offered up, but also those things we try to keep buried there. He knows the fears that go with them, the sadness, the sorrow, the pain, the burdens, the hunger for joy, the longing for God, and the godlessness. It is painful to have God see the secrets, to have it all laid bare, exposed to the light, to have this all put before him. And yet, yes, and yet, indeed, thank God, for not only does he know our hearts, but we know his. There is no secret here. It is laid open and spoken plainly to Nicodemus and through the text to us and to all it may concern. That God, who is beyond our striving and knowing beyond all numbers we might crunch and offer up, has made himself known in a number we can understand, the number one, his one and only son. Actually, it's one on one, his son and me, his son and you. And while we can multiply it by a world full, for Nicodemus and for each of us, God's numbers still add up to a love so deep that had I alone sinned and the rest of the world escaped, God still would have come and done the same thing just for me. That is God's heart. That is the way he is. It does not add up as we look at things. It makes no sense. But again, thank God that he is the one who is doing the figuring. The massive novel Sauberberg, Magic Mountain, the Magic Mountain, is a not-so-veiled commentary on Europe on the eve of the First World War. The German writer Thomas Mann follows life in a sanitarium high above the Swiss Alps at Davos, where today the great economic saviors of the world gather once a year to tell us what we should do. In this Olympus-like setting, high above the rest of Europe, came people to focus on themselves, and they hoped to recover health. The main character came for a short visit to see a relative, he thought, and wound up staying seven years, hoping, too, he would make sense of things. One might expect to rise above the troubles below and perhaps see one's way clearly, the way things properly ought to unfold. But as the various characters, who represent various aspects of Europe's politics and culture, consider any number of ideas and values of the modern age, we see all too clearly that they can do no better than the great minds of feckless Europe that they have left behind. Nothing ever adds up. At one point, Thomas Mann writes, it is love, not reason, that is stronger than death. And yet, while Mann writes it, and others may know it, it does not happen. And in the end, Hans Kostorp, the main character, having seen so many die around him, succumbing to their ailments, in some cases falling victim to their own hands, taking their own lives in desperation, 
Hans Kostorp goes back down the mountain as the novel closes to be drafted into the army and presumably to become a number, no more a person, no more an individual, but rather a cold casualty, a statistic. Death wins in the magic mountain. Death would try to win on another mountain, on Calvary, but in the end it is love, not reason, that is stronger than death. Elvis has left the building, but God has not and will not. He has hung around and made sure that we are not left alone. Christ was and still is the one who for us and for our salvation, we say in great confidence, came, was born, lived, suffered, died, rose, and ascended, and will come again for me. Reason and logic tout the law, and it adds up to disaster. But God makes plain his heart in his one and only Son, It sounds like foolishness, and it would be, except for one thing, that we know the heart of the Father, and we have seen the heart, we have seen that love in his Son, as the Spirit ever reminds us and makes sure to whomever it may concern. Jesus in you, Jesus in me. There is a name and a face on both ends of that equation one image imprinted on our hearts, and it adds up to joy. We rise for prayer.